Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn back to Romans chapter 2. Begin with the verse 7. We're going to get right into this uh, so we don't run too late today. I may may not finish this today. Uh, Today's sermon is all about misplaced confidence. We have a tendency to place our confidence about our spiritual welfare in the wrong things. And and Paul, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 2, beginning with verse 17, talks about that. I've seen a few times people misplacing their confidence into church rituals. We've had people, young people, uh, come to our church and decide they're going to live for the Lord and they're going to they're going to do away with their their sinful habits of drugs and 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 cigarettes and alcohol and they're going to get rid of all that and they give their heart to Jesus and they want to get baptized right and so we're like yep happy to do that and and we baptize them and we never see them again why because they think well I've done everything I need to do I'm going to go back and live my old life. And and I'll but I'll be I'll be I got my ticket for heaven now, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. And that is absolutely not true. We're going to talk about that. The Bible shows that's not accurate, and it's a dangerous game you play with yourself. But let's say uh, we're, we're going to first read through the end of chapter two, and then go back through in detail. <clears throat> but begin with verse seventeen. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and Rest in the law, boast in God, know his will, and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the full expression of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will his uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but who fulfills the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. If we apply this passage... This, is, this passage is, is written to Jewish people in Rome, Christians. And, and they're relying too much on, on, on their Jewish uh, rituals. 
And it's easy to think, well, this doesn't apply to me, but it really does. You can easily replace uh, some of the words in the passage, and it makes perfect sense for us, and it's biblical for us as well. Uh, you, could, it, 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 you could change some stuff around, and it could read something like this. If you bear the name of a Christian and rest on having the gospel and glory in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the gospel and are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, having in the gospel the form of knowledge and truth, then preachers that denounce stealing but are accused by the world of being themselves money grabbers, you who glory in the gospel through your disobedience to the gospel, do you dishonor God? The name of God is blasphemed among non-church members because of you. Church membership indeed profits if you're an obeyer of the gospel. But if you're a refuser of the gospel, your church membership has become non-church membership. If therefore a non-church member obeys the gospel, shall not his non-church membership be reckoned for church membership? And shall non-church members, if they obey the gospel, judge you who with the letter and church membership are a refuser of a gospel walk? For he is not a Christian who is one outwardly, who just says, I'm a Christian. Nor is that church membership, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Christian who is one inwardly, and church membership is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. This speaks to us as well. Going back in more detail with this passage, going back to verse 17, it says, it first starts off with now if. If is... Uh, an important statement. Wherever there's an if, there's an that usually a then. So, assuming one condition is true, then it's it has a then statement. Then this must be the reality. And so, let's look at this. If you call yourself a, a, a Jew or a Christian, and and you you rest in God's word, and you brag on the Lord. And, you, and, and if you know his will, and if you approve of all these things that are superior, that are good, and, 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 you, and you learn from God's word, and if you're convinced that you're, you're, you can be a guide for the blind, and a light to those in darkness, an instructor to the ignorant, and a, a mentor to the immature, and, and you have this embodiment of knowledge and truth. If that's all true, you who are teaching others, do you teach yourself? It's so easy to ignore our own selves, to dismiss our own behaviors, our own thoughts, our own actions, our own attitudes, to not hold ourselves to the same standards that we hold everybody else. You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? Are you dishonest? 
You know, you say you shouldn't commit adultery, and and you do you commit adultery? And Paul goes on, you who detest idols, do you rob their temples? Now, what does that mean? Talking about taken from a pagan temple to have your own idols. You say you detest idols, yet you have idols. And that's real easy in this day and age to say, oh, I detest someone else's idol that they're clearly putting before God, but I have my own little pet idols that I'm okay with. And then he concludes with verse 23. You who boast in the law, you boast in God's word, do you dishonor God by breaking his commandments? For it is written, the name of the Lord is blasphemed among the Gentiles. That's actually in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 5, if you're curious. Blaspheme is to speak evil of somebody. It's so speaking evil, you know, of God and of, of your religion and what you believe. It's easy to live two lives as a professing Christian. You come to church, you say all the right words. You sing the songs, you give praise to God, and you go back to your, your home and maybe hang out with your co-workers and you laugh at dirty jokes or you tell a lie or you leer at someone or you do have a bad attitude towards somebody. And people are watching. You think, oh, they don't care that I'm doing things a Christian normally doesn't do. Because they're sinners. What do they care? They do care. They're watching and they care. And they, they, they speak evil of God and evil of you when they see that. Mohandas Gandhi spearheaded India's struggle for freedom from British rule. He was a Hindu. Earlier in his life, you may not know this, but earlier in his life, he considered being a Christian. He went to church. And he went to his church in, in, in Pretoria, South Africa. And he later wrote about it. He said, the congregation did not strike me as being particularly religious. There were not an assembly of devout souls, but appeared rather to be very worldly. Worldly-minded people going to church for recreation and conformity to custom. So he concluded Christianity had no real value to him. I remember, I think I, I, I heard or seen a quote from him, something along the lines of, I like Jesus, the followers not so much. So he turned away from Jesus to his own loss, and can you imagine how many people he would have influenced in his life, because he was clearly an influencer. Are we like those churchgoers in Pretoria? Just playing church, going through the motions? Is our adherence to Christianity merely a matter of custom, 
a nice way of enjoying social relationships? Would a stranger who came in here seeking a relationship with God be attracted or turned off by the quality of our worship and personal devotion to Christ? Do we live out the Christianity we profess? Do we practice what we preach? Or worse, do we blaspheme the name of God by our behavior? Someone once wrote, I'd rather see a Christian than to hear one merely talk. I'd rather see his actions and behold his daily walk. Continuing with his argument, Paul writes in verse 25, 4, circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. Now, the word for, that's a good word to pay attention to, whereas more than 7,000 times it occurs in the Bible. And, and what you look for when you see the word for is some kind of explanation. And so what's he explaining here? Well, first go back. He's talking about it matters if what you say and what you do are different things. I've had that happen a lot. A lot of people tell me, oh, I love God and I want to do what's right and I want to serve the Lord. And I look at them and I say, your words don't match your actions. And you know, no one's ever responded to that. What else could they say? It was true. They just look at me and they don't say a word. I wish someone would say, wow, you're right. I need to fix that right now. That's never happened. They just stare at me. And so Paul is saying that your words need to match your actions, and then he explains why, beginning with verse 25. And he's saying circumcision, the outward symbol of following God, uh, benefits you only if you... Follow, actually follow God. We could replace circumcision with baptism or circumcision with communion, any sacrament. That only benefits you if you're actually following God. But if you're a lawbreaker, it continues, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, uh, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will his uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? So someone who's not necessarily following the law, but he's trying to do what's right. He's trying to follow God. God is going to bless that. But God is not going to bless fake religion. And you can know this Bible in your head and it not sink one bit into your heart. I was going to go into James. I don't have time for that now, but I was going to James chapter 1, beginning of verse 22, if you want to look at that later talks about real religion, what real religion is. 
and how your actions are backed up by, or your words are backed up by your actions. I know a man, as he, when he was a child, he memorized the entire book of James. And it's all about living a life of real religion, not being fake. But it never sunk into his heart. And over life, he, he lost his family. He lost his job. He's, you know, just barely surviving. And he's mad at the world. And he, and he talks, every time I talk to him, he, he always talks very spiritually. But it, it just, it sounds so hollow. Because I know his actions aren't matching his words. Verse 28, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly in circumcision of the heart. By the spirit of the letter, that man's praise is not from men. That, that man's praise is not from men, but from God. So here we are, finishing chapter 2. And I think I'm going to, well, let me try. I do want to quickly, very quickly, um, just kind of gloss over seven principles of God's judgment that we covered in chapter 2. Number one, God's judgment is according to truth. Number two, it's according to accumulated guilt. God gives you time to either turn to Him or hang yourself. Number three, God's judgment is according to works, what we actually do, not just what we say. Number four, God's judgment is without partiality. God doesn't favor any one person over another. God treats us all the same, no matter where we've come from. Number five, God's judgment is according to our performance, not knowledge. It's kind of like three, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, number six, God's judgment reaches secrets of the heart. God gets way down. All things we thought were completely hidden from everybody else, God knows all about it. And number seven, God's judgment is according to reality, not just religious profession. There's a lot of fake conversions out there. People who just go through the motions and say the words, and they don't really mean them. And, and they think, okay, I'm okay now. I said the magic words. And there's no magic words. It's, it's what's happened in the heart. So the seven concepts of God's judgment from chapter 2. So based on that, you might... Um, 
verse 1 of chapter 3. We're going to read the first few verses of chapter 3 uh, before we wrap up. So what advantage does the Jew have? That's what they're asking. So he's, he's, Paul is anticipating the question they're going to ask when they read this. And we could say this, I could say it this way. If what you say, you, being Paul, if what you say is true, Paul, then why be Jewish? What's the benefit? What's the benefit of circumcision, it says? Consider, and he said, considerable, the benefit is considerable in every way. The first they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. The Jewish people were the receivers of God's word, God's truth. And through their people came the Lamb of God who saved the world. The very special and wonderful responsibility they had. Um, let's jump to verse 5. So, if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? And then he goes into, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a human argument here, he says. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Is God evil to, in, to inflict wrath on people? There's people that are, there are people so-called progressive Christianity, who say that's the case, that God really isn't going to have wrath on anybody because that would be wrong to do. But no, it's not true because God is a good judge and he's going to hold, a good judge holds people accountable. And then the second question here, another human argument, verse 7, but if my lie but if by my lie, God's truth is amplified to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do what is evil so that good may come? And by the way, he put this parenthetical statement saying that, that they've been slandered by some, saying that they're claiming this, that you know, we can just keep on sinning that good may come. Say, well, what's wrong with evil? If if God if it, if it amplifies God's goodness, how can God hold that against us? That's what they're saying. And then he then he uh, finishes up with, their condemnation is deserved. Their damnation is deserved. You see, just because God can take evil and make it benefit the righteous does not mean evil is good. I have a friend, when she was a young woman, she was raped and she got pregnant from that and she decided to keep the child and now that child is a, is a beautiful young lady and, and is a great blessing to her mother. That in no, the fact that the daughter is such a great blessing to the mother does not 
mean at all the rape wasn't evil because it was evil. So our, our, our confidence here, we talked about the confidence in, in our words and what we do and even, you know, trying to excuse sin in our life, saying, well, it, it's doing some good. Make excuses for sin. This is all about misplaced confidence. Where does your confidence lie? Does it lie just in what you say? I'm saying I'm a Christian. I'm saying I believe in God. Does it lie in other people? Your confidence. Well, I'm doing whatever somebody else is doing, so I should be good. Does your confidence lie in ritual? I've said all the words. I got baptized. Uh, I'm good to go. Or does your confidence lie in God's word? And you believe it. And you fear God. And you want to please Him. Because you believe it. Actually believe it. May the Lord help us. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at Servants Heart Chapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.